The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Michael Horton. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. As we're going through the patriarchal narratives, I pick Genesis 28. Uh, One of my favorite passages, Jacob's Ladder. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 28, beginning at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Neither uh, Esau nor Jacob was exactly a virtuous candidate to be next in line as uh, in the covenant succession from Abraham and Isaac, leading to the Messiah. Esau, of course, had sold his covenantal birthright, and Jacob was a deceiving schemer who was only too happy to steal it from his brother. But ultimately, it was dependent on God's electing purpose, God's electing grace, as Paul explores in Romans 9. God chose Jacob, but had Jacob chosen God? God had bound himself by oath in chapter 25, to Jacob, but had Jacob received that and bound himself to it. He seems to still be scheming as he's running from his brother. There are two reasons why he's fleeing. Uh, He's not just sauntering away from his father's house, away from the covenant community, away from the places of worship that he was familiar with. He was running, he was fleeing. He was fleeing for two reasons. One, he was fleeing from his brother, and second, he was fleeing for a wife. 
And both of these reasons for fleeing are nuclear to our salvation, nuclear to God's fulfillment of his covenant purposes. He had to flee Esau. He had to stay alive to continue the covenantal line by God's election. And he also had to have a wife from his father's people, underscoring the point of uh, the purity of the line that leads to the Messiah. No intermarrying with unbelievers. And so into the natural narrative from chapter 27, verse 45, to chapter 28, verse 10, is inserted the heart of this encounter between Jacob and Yahweh. And it's so different from everything before it and after it. It kind of interrupts the narrative that uh, higher critical scholars say, well, this is an insertion of the priestly tradition into uh, uh, retrospectively into uh, this narrative. But there's no need to uh, attribute the insertion to an exilic priestly tradition. On the contrary, the parenthesis is due to the fact that God is stopping the story, that Jacob is writing for himself, and now the vertical horizon enters into the picture. Jacob, and therefore Israel, and therefore the, God, the, the story of God with his people, will be recalibrated after this event. And so first, God calls him out of his people, and then he calls him to himself. And it's, it's interesting because he's not like Abraham being called out of a pagan country is being called out of the covenant community as an exile from the covenant community. Uh, and he's being called to God, but he doesn't know it yet because there is no temple, there is no, uh, there is no place, there is no shrine, there is no location where God is expected to show up. He's just out in the desert, and as he's wandering, he sees, no doubt, these Mesopotamian ziggurats. You know, have you ever seen pictures of, uh, you know, in Mexico or in Central America, these Mayan temples? Uh, it's sort of like the Tower of Babel. We're going to build a tower reaching to the heavens, and often sacrifices were offered at the top. Uh, there's quite a lot of uh, interesting parallel between nations when they go to worship the unknown God. He no doubt saw these temples in a triangular shape, like pyramids. And he goes to sleep. Now there are lots of visions uh, that the patriarchs have. Visions often accompany God's word, but it's what is said that is central always in the story, not the vision itself. Think of the vision his grandfather had, Abram. Uh, God had, had to, I always say this, that, that the greatest leaps forward in redemptive history happen when God puts the patriarchs to sleep. <laughs> Just shut up and would you stop fiddling with things? Yeah, but what if, but what just stop talking and let me preach the gospel into you. 
And Abraham finds himself finally believing. And he had that vision, you know, of smoking fire pot, God himself passing between the pieces. Something similar is about to happen here. In his wakeful hours, Jacob, his own identity is, I got to get what I got to get, how I got to get it. In his waking hours, he's a schemer. And no doubt he's burdened by his shameful character and actions. But asleep, he's powerless to control what enters his mind. He's acted upon. And the dream offers a new world for Jacob to enter, a world of God's speech, God's action that trumps his misdeeds. So Jacob is no longer determined by his memories of his own fears and failure, but of God's memory of his promise that he made to his grandfather. And now, it's no longer just, I am the Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac. After this dream, he will now be tethered to the name of Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like Judah in Babylon, Jacob is exiled, but God is with him in his estrangement from the people and places associated with the worship of God. Jacob is not going out into the desert to worship God. He has no religious interests on this trip. He's not thinking about God, but God is thinking about him. He isn't scheming and plotting for his inheritance. He's not even looking for God or his blessing. He's just fleeing his brother and looking for a wife. And verse 11 puts it uh, uh, nicely. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. (laughs) He didn't stay there because he heard that You know, it's kind of a psychic highway. Uh, There are lots of cool things that happen there. Um, If you, you know, read National Enquirer, you'll see a lot of stories, a lot of testimonies about what can happen if you go there. Uh, It's not like Lourdes. Uh, If you go to the waters, you'll be healed and so on and so forth. He came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. And he's not in charge of the situation. He's about to be surprised. He doesn't like surprises. Are any of us like that? Jacob doesn't like surprises. He likes to be in control of everything. Know all the factors so that he can control everything. So he's in charge and he can direct his life his own way. He's a schemer. Then he has this vision. God puts him to sleep. He has this vision. And it's a vision of a ladder from heaven to earth. In, in medieval lore, uh, going all the way to Philo, back to Philo of Alexandria, it's an allegory of our ascent to God. I got that all the way to my Sunday school class. I don't know if you heard this or had to sing it under penalty of death, but I am climbing, climbing, climbing Jacob's ladder, 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 and we made the motions and everything. I, I, you just have to read the passage. Uh, Jacob isn't climbing anything. He's sound asleep. God is above the ladder making promises, and there are angels ascending and descending 
this ladder. Jacob hasn't even discovered the right place. But the right place is wherever God speaks his promise. Wherever God speaks his promise, there that common place becomes holy. That becomes the greatest sanctuary, the greatest temple on earth. With the angels ascending and descending, we clearly have a picture here of not a disenchanted cosmos, the kind that our neighbors are very familiar with today, a world devoid of God, a history determined merely by the course of the market, wars, ideologies, and our own projects of self-salvation. This is not the world that Macbeth describes uh, a... Uh, uh, Tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Or as uh, Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford uh, Auto Company, put it, history is just one damn thing after another. That may be how Jacob felt about it up till now in his waking hours, but now he's asleep and God's in charge. History isn't meaningless. There are angels ascending and descending this ladder. We're afraid. Our fears, though, are, are petty, actually. Our hopes are meager. As C.S. Lewis said, we're like children making mud pies in the slums because we can't even imagine what it's like to have a holiday at the sea. But then God appears. God speaks. The world isn't abandoned by God. God isn't sealed up in heaven as in a vault or feasting on Mount Olympus not, without any care about what's going on down here. There are angels ascending and descending. There's traffic between heaven and earth all the time. Not only is there heavenly traffic, but God descends in mercy. That must have, that must have been a surprise too. God showing up. In a dream could be a terrifying, that could be a nightmare for Jacob and for us. Given his life, given his circumstances. But surprisingly, God simply confirms the unconditional promise that he gave to Abraham and Isaac. What he will do without conditions. And then the promise. There's a preamble to the promise here in verse 13. And behold, the Lord, Yahweh, stood above the ladder and said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Not an angel, but Yahweh himself. And not just Elohim, but Yahweh, the personal name of God. And now he is the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What condescending mercy that he attaches his own reputation, his own identity to these sinners because of his promise, because of what he will do with and through them in history. What is the substance of the promise? He says, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, north and south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you 
until I have done what I have promised you. All God, God alone swearing, God alone making the promise. And there are basically three of them. I am with you, which is substantiated especially when Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. I am with you wherever my gospel is preached. I will keep you and I will bring you back. I am with you, I will keep you, and I will bring you back. There will be a homecoming. Finally, the response. The, the word proclaimed to Jacob in the dream, and this I think is really the center of it, the world, the world proclaimed to Jacob in the dream now will become in his waking hours more real than the world as it was before he had it. That will be the real world, the world of the promise. Like a dream that seems too good to be true, but it isn't because God made it, confirmed by angels ascending and descending. And Jacob's response corresponds exactly to the promise. This is so important. Our faith must conform to the promise. It must answer every one of God's promises with an amen. First of all, God's presence. God is present here even though I didn't know it. He even erects a pillar and he said, but here, here's the thing. He is still like Abraham was. He's still scheming. You notice what he says there? He says, Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. God's making all these unconditional promises and the schemer is still scheming. He's still getting into a bargaining thing with God. But there is still faith. And you know, I mean, that's the amazing thing, that it's God's promise that always keeps breaking in to our scheming, breaking into our waking hours of how are we going to overcome our fears and how are we going to get what we want in life and out of the world, not looking up to heaven and listening to the promise. God speaking from the top of the ladder with angels ascending and descending. But he does respond to the presence of God. He's here to the promise of God in verses 20 to 21, even though he continu continues to have trouble in the scoundrel department. And then, and then finally, Isaac's greater son. John tells us at the beginning of his gospel, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the next day we read in verse 43, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Again, calling him out. Repentance, calling him to himself, faith. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Anyone who knew their Bible knew what he was claiming for himself. I am Jacob's ladder. I am the gate of heaven. I am the house of God, and you didn't even know it. He came to his own, and his own received him not. We all came here with a story, a narrative of our own life with its ups and downs, trying to figure out how we're going to tackle various things, maybe involving a little manipulating and scheming, But God has broken into our world, into our lives, and proclaimed his word, giving us a new creation filled with with new promise. It's like a dream, but it's not too good to be true. It is true. It has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ, the ladder of God. It has actually happened, and it's more real than any script that you're writing for yourself or anything that will be on CNN today. And when we wake up, we realize it. Jesus is the presence of God, the stairway from heaven to earth. Jesus is the promise of God, for all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen, as Jacob did, to God for his glory. He is the seed. And he says, I am with you. I will not leave you orphans, but will send my Holy Spirit I am with you even to the end of the age. He says, I will keep you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And he promises, I will bring you back. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.